0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. One of the big
1: questions is: What is money? For practical purposes, it exists in a series of uh, heterogeneous databases, very different databases. Do you believe in crypto? Digital currency may be an answer. But it is the
2: highly speculative asset.
1: Uh, I do own good point.
2: There is no second best. Welcome to the Crypto Curious Podcast, designed to help you navigate the dynamic world of cryptocurrency. We're here for anyone who's interested in crypto at all. Maybe you've already dipped your toe in the water, or maybe you don't know anything about it, and this is the very beginning. But we recommend heading back to the early episodes to get your footing. However, if you're ready to dive in head first, then let's do it. This week, we're giving you a bumper extra episode uh, to cover off all things NFT-focused. We've got a very special guest, on with us today. Welcome, Greg Oakford. Greg, thanks for coming on today.
1: Thanks for having me. Uh, what a wild day it is as we record this.
2: Yeah, there's been a lot that's happened in the market, um, and some of that does spill over into NFT land. But before we start, I just want to give a bit of background on Greg. What how, how would you describe yourself, Greg? You've been around the traps, but you've been in the industry for a while, and you're a bit of a godfather when it comes to NFTs, and um, you've been involved in blockchain um, Australia as well. Well, and you're putting together NFT Fest Australia, which is um, happening in a couple of weeks, and we are going to get to that and talk about that in the show later on. But do you want to give yourself a bit of a pump up, or tell the listeners um, a little bit about you?
1: Yeah, well, thank you for that flattering uh, intro, (laughs) Trace. I I uh, don't know if I've been called the NFT Godfather before, but I'm going to put that in a various Discord group chat later today (laughs) and uh, have shreds ripped off me uh, by some friends. But. uh, Look, ultimately, I think I've, I landed in this sort of uh, weird and wacky world of Web three. You know, we're on this new frontier. Um, you know, I've always always been a curious person. Uh, I sort of got NFT red pilled in early twenty twenty one, sort of maybe the back end of twenty twenty when I, you know, I was a big basketball cards collector, and I know that you and I share interests in basketball trace. And you know, really, the the one of the key unlocks for me was. Uh, understanding blockchain and then understanding digital collectibles. So it felt like my childhood reincarnated with collecting basketball cards, you know, from back in the day with Upper Deck and Fleer and Hoops and all these types of cards that I still have today. And I went, this is the next iteration of it, right? So that that was a key unlock for me. Um, and, you know, I think for you know, having worked in the sports industry previously, I've, I've actually quite enjoyed my corporate career to date. I'm not in a corporate career anymore. I've taken a really hard sort of turn and um, have decided to make a, a multi-year bet, if not multi-decade bet on, um, you know, the evolution of all things Web3 and NFTs for me is my wheelhouse. Um, you know, you mentioned Blockchain Australia before I had started doing a little bit of consulting work to them in sort of March, April 2021, uh, while I was actually on annual leave from my corporate job. And um, that was when I really fell down the rabbit hole of meeting a lot of characters of the Australian blockchain industry. Um, But really at that time in sort of March, April 2021, there wasn't a lot of NFT content. There was, you know, it was mainly on traditional crypto and DeFi and sort of you know regulation and how that fits into the picture. And I, I was looking around and I went, I'm very interested in this space, but not being a traditional finance person. I mean, I definitely take an interest in it. I, I've always skewed on the marketing and culture side of things. And then really, um, NFTs sort of around April, May, shortly after that, that Australian Blockchain Week in 2021 just hit me like a tsunami. It was when Board Apes launched, it was when Gary V's V Friends launched, it was when MeBits launched by Lava Labs. It just it, yeah, like I said, it hit me like a tsunami and I have not come up for air since.
2: <laughs> you can you say you don't come up for air, but you kind of have to be involved in it all the time, don't you? If you're not on it, you miss stuff. Like if you're out even for a couple of days. You miss it. I think that's why a lot of uh, people- hours, hours. Yeah, you're right.
1: The pace is very, very intense. I think sometimes it can be a gift and a curse. I mean, you know, I'm sure we're going to get into a few different topics uh, over this podcast. But even things like creator royalties that have been, you know, mm. a hot, a hot topic over the last couple of weeks, even couple of months. Like that changes on a daily basis as well. So yeah, it's it's a, it's not for the faint faint of heart. This space for sure. So Greg, I have to ask. Did you mint a board ape? I didn't mint a board ape, but I actually bought a board ape at 0.36 ETH. It was my first ever what? purchase of no OpenSea, um, which yeah, it was. So um, I tell this story sometimes that you know, in hindsight, um, you know, people always say like, "Oh, you knew it was going to happen. You knew this, this, and this," and it wasn't my first ever nft i bought i had minted some some v friends previously and i sort of got the bug i saw you know the metamask thing ticking over and you know transaction complete and then i would go to etherscan and i would look at all this detail and i didn't really know what all the detail was yet i was still figuring it out but honestly i was i was looking on opensea and i went you know we were in lockdown covid lockdown here in melbourne and, um, you yeah, know, I was a little bit bored and I thought, Bored Ape Yacht Club, what a funny, cool name. And actually, I I, I forgot, I was going to the races that Saturday and I thought this will be funny if I buy this NFT, right, and I'm going to tell everyone I signed up to a digital yacht club, right, while I'm at the races just so that, you yeah, I know, I knew the response I would get. And um, the other reason I bought a Bored Ape, and, and this is sort of another unlock as to sort of my curiosity around NFTs and what I think the future of the internet will be is... The first ever perk you got as a board ape yacht club holder was to actually ride on the bathroom wall, right? So it was a collaborative thing, mm. a digital piece of art where you could go yeah. and put pixels on this bathroom wall. And the only way you could do that was to hold a board ape yacht club, you know, token. So I went to the website. I logged on. I verified my wallet. Obviously, they peek into your wallet. You're verified. I got to exercise that. And, you know, that when people talk about utility is as, as small as that is. That was cool. That yeah. was one of the first ever unlocks for me of like what an NFT was going to be.
2: So where did you hear about it? Where did you actually hear about the board? Aid?
1: Yeah, I think um, I, I was lurking on Twitter. I mean, I, I've one of those people that have actually bought my real name and sort of web two identity over to web three, which again can be a gift and a curse as well. I mean, I remember having sort of a lot of dialogue about that, what I would do, but I was lurking on crypto Twitter. Um, I was still juggling my, my job at the time. So, you know, I, I think I had stumbled upon board apes on Twitter. Um, you know, at 0.36, like I said, I bought, you know, the, the floor was probably at Point 0.2 when I bought. So I went slightly above floor. I actually bought one that I really liked the look of. And, um, you know, a lot of people actually don't do that. And um, unfortunately, I don't hold that ape anymore. I, got, I, I pretty much got shook out in June, um, you know, when the markets were, were tumbling in May and June. Uh, I, the story I give is I rode the board ape roller coaster all the way up. Uh, I rode it, you know, in terms of all-time highs, significantly back down again. But this is how crazy the crypto space is, isn't it? When I say, in what world can I paint you a sub story that 100x was actually felt like a loss, right? So um, because that, that could have easily been 400, 500x, but- the the journey I had, you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of other perks along the way. So um, you know, it was it was a wild, wild ride. And to be honest, if things go to plan for me, and um, you know, it might be 10 years, 20 da- years down the track from a sentimental standpoint and having that part of my life for nearly two years or eighteen months, I will get my ape back. And I've said this publicly before and I will get it back.
2: Oh, okay. There you go. Well, Craig, you might get your um What's his name? you Pudgy Penguin. You're Pudgy Penguin. Mac. You never know. <laughs> penguins oh, have
1: good meme value, not financial advice, of course. Yes.
2: <laughs> and none of this is financial advice, obviously. Well, look, that's, that's a pretty good intro story to, um, you know, how you started out. Let's crack into kind of a first story, um, of what's made news in the last couple of weeks and get your take on it as well, Greg. But, um, Instagram and their digital collectibles, this has been hot off the press in, in, this week's news but creators will soon be able to make uh, their own digital collectibles on Instagram. I don't know how this will work exactly. So this will be by the Polygon network. Is that right, Craig?
3: Yeah. So it's on Polygon. Yeah.
2: And people will be able to support their own. um, So buying it on there, I don't know if they'll be able to sell on there as well, but apparently Meta's saying that there'll be no fees. I don't know how that'll work um, with Polygon as well, but you'll be able to showcase these. It it mentions Solana and um, Phantom Wallets as well. So I don't know exactly how that will work also. But they're saying that they're going to test just a small group of creators in the US to start. And I'm not sure when that testing is happening. I think they said over the next six months. I was happy to see in one of the news stories that one of those testers was Valfrey, who's an artist that I really like, which is pretty cool. So I don't know the timelines around this, but I'm really, really keen to see how this one rolls out because Uh, This will reach a lot of people and I'm really keen to see if we'll have these POAs available on there as well because I'm happy to – that's somewhere I think that people can show what they're doing, not just their their NFTs but where they're going and what they're doing. I think that's a pretty cool option for this type of thing as well.
3: Well, like you don't have the option to buy and sell yet. You have the option to share it to your feed. Mm -hmm. So if you go to your home page on Instagram now, the top right there's like the three lines icon – and then you click digital collectibles mm-hmm. and it has everything there. But one thing that I've noticed about it is they they haven't like curated it. Like I've got all these scammy NFTs in there that are clearly just being airdropped to my wallet to scam me to sell. So I feel like we are very early
1: still on the... Iteration of this product release is it
2: in there now?
1: Yeah, it's in there now. Yeah, so so from my understanding, there's actually been two sort of updates in the last say month or so. The first one is what Craig was touching on as um, essentially displaying your NFTs and having that part of um, you know the visual interface of uh, Instagram. Uh, they are actually uh, the the more recent announcement was about sort of buying and selling. Uh, NFTs on Instagram, um, you know, native in the app. So uh, I haven't personally done it yet. My overall take on it is, you know, similar to you, Trace. Um, I'm very bullish on Web2 platforms and platforms that, you know, infiltrate our lives on a daily basis, Um, you know, essentially integrating digital collectibles or NFTs, whatever you want to call them, because I do believe the world we're heading in. And it just makes so much sense to me that, you know, we all... We all have lived uh, through the emergence of these social platforms. We all live our digital lives. We all showcase and curate. Everyone
2: likes to peacock, peacock, don't we? We want to show our stuff. Yeah,
1: well, you know it's it's the way that it's the way that we communicate really mm-hmm. socially, right? On on digital mm-hmm. platforms. Now we can go into a whole different debate about you know with Instagram, for example. You know, are people just showing the best parts of their lives versus, you know, the real parts of their lives? That's probably not for this particular podcast, but I do think we're going to get to a world in the coming years where, you know, just like I can look you guys up on LinkedIn or find you on Twitter or Google you or, you know, whatever it might be and get an understanding of who you are and what you care about the next extension of that to me naturally is going to be what NFTs, what digital assets you hold and what you want to show. So to your point, Craig, it's not going to be everything, like the scammy ones, like it's going to be to me more of a curated feed. So, you know, it Mm. might be my moonbird. It might be my ticket to the AFL grand final in 2019. It might be Mm. a music NFT of an upcoming band that I've discovered and there's only one of 100 of these you know, NFT, music NFTs. All these and, albums. Yeah. yeah. And you are you are going to start to meet people and and sort of communicate through the NFTs that that you have. So I'm incredibly bullish on things like this Instagram rollout. Like a lot of people will look at it and say, oh, well, it doesn't quite work yet and, you know, it's, it's a bit hard to use and all that type of stuff. And uh, I'm more patient than that because I feel like being a student of the internet and being in a – almost a sweet spot of remembering what the world was like as a kid just before the internet but then also remembering when the internet came along right and what what the internet was initially was just a newspaper really i mean it was just a read only type everything. of uh, yeah. yeah you know i would go onto nba.com and It was like, okay, well, I'm sort of like reading a news story about basketball here. Who would have thought that we would be recording a podcast? We didn't even know what the word podcast was then, right? Like in the mid-90s, we'd be dating and, you know, we'd be doing all these things, booking tickets and airline tickets and movies and, you know, watching live TV on on our phones, like, in my mind, we just have to be a little bit more patient with all this stuff, right? But because mm. we're living through it at the moment and Web 1 and Web 2 haven't gone away, like you talk about people having to build in public and, you know, there's a lot of scrutiny. Expectations. Um, yeah, the builders in the, in the 90s and the early 2000s really just had the traditional media to be accountable for. Now, you know, there's a spotlight on everyone in every nook and cranny. I
2: think, like you said there, I really love the idea because I'm big on my my gigs and my concerts and I've been to so many and I really wish I've got all my ticket butts, but that's different. I can't transfer those now. What I'm wondering is like I've bought, you know, a Muse um, NFT, the album through Serenade, but that's stuck on one blockchain and I've got my NFTs on another blockchain. You know, what we're missing is connecting them all. I, feel, I still feel at the moment... We've got these, we don't have a bridge to bring everything together. So Meta's doing something here. Someone's doing something here. We're still very fragmented. You know, everyone's doing things that are still, um, you know, nothing's really merging together and I feel that's probably our issue right now.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. And there's, for, for my personal habits, like, I mean, I, I'm not a maxi of any particular blockchain. I mean, most of my holdings are on Ethereum, uh, but that doesn't, I don't classify myself as an ETH maxi at all. I, st- I have stuff on Flow, I have stuff on Tezos. Are you the only person that has
3: something on Tezos? That's when no one uses Tezos, eh? Uh,
1: it depends what pockets you sort of what, where where you're looking in. Like for from an art perspective, um, mm. a lot of art, a lot of uh, great artists use Tezos. They particularly before Ethereum went to proof of stake, um, because a lot of the artists that were, you know, had ESG concerns of uh, of deploying on Ethereum, but ultimately you know there, there's a number of apps that i use you know just even something as basic as rainbow wallet to display my nfts right and um you know i think things like on cyber are pretty cool you know the online digital galleries and stuff like that but i do agree it's 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 quite hard to have everything in one place at the moment um, but you know i'm i'm reasonably bullish that all of that is to come right and i to your point on ticket stubs, trace i mean i i did this in 2021 i I had a lot of the ticket stubs from concerts, sporting events, just significant moments of my life. So you get nostal- nostalgia of sort of looking at them, right? It's almost like the the timestamps of your life really in a way. And um, being able to have those, like a lot of mine are dog-eared and, you know, the ink mm. is fading and probably, you know, nearly all of them will be unrecognizable in five to ten years' time. So having those um, digitally and yeah. knowing that, they can't be faked, knowing that yeah. you know. If you went to a concert and there was ten thousand people there, there are only ten thousand. You know, the 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 true unlock in my mind, or at least one of the true unlocks around NFTs and just you know, blockchain in debt in general. Whether it's creating a scarce digital currency or whether it's creating a scarce ten thousand drop of ticket stubs, like. That is a game changer. We have grown up in an internet of abundance and copy and paste and, you know, LimeWire and Napster and rip this for free and do that for free we're now moving to an internet that can enable scarcity. And I think that that is really, really cool.
2: Yeah, POA, I, I'm a big fan of that kind of thing for exactly what you've just outlined there. But yeah, I think, again, just to round out that story, I think what Instagram doing is doing, it's bringing a lot of eyes into the space. So, I mean, that's always that's always a really good thing. So a big tick for that one. Moving on, let's talk about something that, that Craig and I and Blake have spoken about in the other podcast, which is royalties and the NFT space and another um, announcement that's happened in the last week that you can help us clear up here, Greg, is OpenSeas and their stance on NFT royalties. And this has been a big debate and I'm going to read this quote and there's been some toing and fro and even just as we've jumped on here, you've said that there's been another change here, Greg, but OpenSeas came out and said, um, and I'll read this out, there's been a lot of discussion over the past few months about business models for NFTs, creators and whether creators fee, royalties are viable. Given our role in the ecosystem, we want to take a thoughtful, principled approach to this topic and lead with solutions. Now, this was said on November the 6th, and this was because they were going to give um, the rights back to creators as to whether they charge royalties and how much. Is this correct?
1: Yeah, I mean it, it's it's probably worthwhile for your listeners just taking a quick step back because I, I think that still this is not um, widely sort of known common knowledge, even though it's it's always been the case. Royalties of NFTs have actually been enforced by marketplaces. It's not actually at the smart contract level. Um, So you know, OpenSea is is obviously had the lion's share of attention, particularly sort of in 2021 and and still into 2022. But a lot of other marketplaces have been spun up um, that are trying to compete with OpenSea. So to back to our board eight, what we were talking about before, uh, if someone sold a board eight for ten grand, you know, early on in 2021, two and a half percent would have. Gone to Yuga Labs, the founder of of Board Apes, uh, and two and a half percent would have gone to OpenSea. So essentially, as the as the the seller of that token, you would have got ninety five percent of that sort of sale, uh, and then that two and a half percent to the creator, in this case, the Board Ape Yacht Club through Yuga Labs, uh, that would have got paid out. Sort of, uh, I can't remember their their frequency of payout. It might be once a fortnight or once a month, right? And so it doesn't ha- it. It happens instantaneously when the transaction goes through. But the payment to creators is actually sort of essentially gated by OpenSea or these marketplaces. Um, so I think that's an important sort of scene set. Up. So that's
2: re- what you're saying. The reminder is it's not written into the contract no. of the actual NFT, but it's done through the platform, whichever platform you're selling through.
1: That, that's correct. And the current sort of, at least on the Ethereum blockchain, you know, the NFT standard, the ERC uh, 721 or the ERC 1155, um, those contracts do not enforce royalties. Um, now, will there be a contract or a standard spun up that potentially can? Uh, you know, I don't profess to be a technical expert, but my intuition and you know the conversations I've had with people previously is, you know, I'm sure another standard will come along. So, you know that that's that's probably a good scene setter in terms of like what OpenSea's done you know, you mentioned before, Trace, how quickly this space moves. And, you know, this is a great example. On Sunday, OpenSea, Sunday Australian time, they have now said now on the 10th, as we record this, that uh, they are essentially backtracking. The TLDR is they put out something where, and I got to say, it was a little bit confusing to me. I've been quite head down and, you know, it's hard to be across absolutely everything. But, I might be butchering some of the finer details, but at a glance on Sunday, it was sort of like, we're going to bring in uh, a new way where, you know, if you take your uh, NFT collection to other marketplaces, when you come to OpenSea, we're essentially going to blacklist um, certain uh, collections or certain tokens. Now, again, I might be butchering the detail here because I haven't been across it fully. It, it does take a while to uh, to dig into these topics, and I'm just too head down with NFT fest at the moment. But I all I all I saw was a massive backlash from some prominent. Creators, including Australia's own Betty from Deadfellas, Fellas, where on Sunday night I saw a lot of heat being thrown open seas way to say if you do not respect creator royalties, you are going to stuff this up for everyone essentially. And you know, I, I I I can share in that sentiment in the sense of I think that one of the enticing things of the NFT space, and you know, the artists were the ones that kicked it off the most um, in the beginning was. You know, these royalties being paid in perpetuity was a game changer. You know, previously an artist would sell their work. Once I, you know, I do a painting, I sell it to Craig. Craig then sells it to you, Trace. I don't see any of that revenue that Craig's made from you, right? Uh, NFTs change that because... You could set a custom amount, and you know you would do that at the marketplace level, like I said. So you might say to OpenSea uh, when you deploy uh, your smart contract, when you deploy your collection, that if these ten paintings get sold, every time one sold, I want five percent or ten percent. So
3: what does OpenSea get out of creating it for creators? Like obviously, OpenSea are worried about their bottom line; they want to make their own cut. Why are they so hell-bent on giving it back to the creators? Because they want to attract talent? Like, what's the logic here?
1: No, well, it's a bit of a race to the bottom at the moment because um, some of these new marketplaces that have been spun up that are either doing smaller fee splits, so OpenSea are are still charging 2.5%, so there is a... Uh, some marketplaces that have spun up and said, come sell on our marketplace, we charge you 0.5%, right? Um, and then what is happening is for collectors, uh, they are going to other marketplaces to buy, you know, I've got a, a couple of Moonbirds, so let's just use Moonbirds as an example. I think Moonbirds royalty is Five percent. So if, if I was selling that on OpenSea, I would lose 7.5% of my total sale. If I went to one of these other marketplaces that are not enforcing royalties, someone could buy my Moonbird for a little bit cheaper, right? And we talk about being in a bear market at the moment. And the royalty that I might give, instead of selling it on OpenSea as as the holder, instead of 7.5%, I might be able to sell that with only a 0.5% fee, right? Because other marketplaces are not enforcing uh, those creator royalties. So that so OpenSea, in my mind, um, you know, and I don't envy in in their position at all. I think it's a it's a very very hard sort of gentle, uh, well not gentle, but they have to be gentle about their approach because you can get so much backlash as they did. Um, they're looking at this and going, well, if we don't pivot, if we don't move and try to compete with these other marketplaces that are essentially undercutting us, and look, OpenSea, the other marketplaces that are able to do this, right? Like OpenSea doesn't own the NFT space. They've just been a prominent player. Um, So it is a race to the bottom at the moment, but OpenSea have backtracked as of about 90 minutes ago. And they are, you know, from what I can see, this is about a 20-tweet thread. So I'm trying to sort of read it in real time as as we start talk here um, but ultimately I see it as a, as a backtrack and things are going to remain the same at least for now um, but it's a, it's a very tricky situation at the moment with the royalties um, I think we're living through a moment in real time where you know in five ten years we'll look back and go oh, I remember like you know Betty and Bobby hundreds and a bunch of these sort of prominent nft um you know, creators were were rallying the troops, you know, late on a Sunday night Australian time and then a couple of days later OpenSea backtracking. And, um, you know, so... So it's it's a very interesting debate. I mean, some of the other things have been thrown around, which I don't love. I mean, I get confused just trying to think about it. It sounds overly complex as people have spoke about, well, you know, let's have different tierings of NFTs within a collection. So again, you know, using Moonbirds as the example, you know, people have said, well, you know, if if someone buys an NFT into a collection, but doesn't pay the royalty. Like so, essentially, there's two prices, right? You get you buy the Moonbird by paying the royalty, or you buy the Moonbird by not paying the royalty. If you don't play the pay the royalty, you won't get all the benefits as a holder. But to oh, me, yeah. that just starts making collections. Nah. You know, the haves and the have-nots, yeah. and you, you're yeah, not going to have, in my opinion, the same the same type of community vibes. It's going to – it's It's just – it's a headache for me to even think about.
2: Someone will do that though. I bet you someone will do that. But, yeah, yeah, I don't see the what's point. What's the
3: vibe like? Obviously, I feel like removing royalties is good for the user but bad for the collection, for the artists, for, you know, people like you said, the Born Up Yacht Club, et cetera. So, like, what's the vibe with these creators because they sort of want to keep the vibes going and – you know, giving people a good price, but also they need to make their bread as well. Like what's the vibe like for the creators?
1: I mean, a lot of creators are very, very upset with these marketplaces. And I think justifiably so. I do think though that we need to think about it in two ways. Like before NFTs, creators didn't have the option or the ability to create digital art in such a easy manner and then sort of get it out to the world. And have places like OpenSea where you can sort of sort through all these wonderful pieces of digital art um, that wasn't available for NFTs came along, so so the promise of being able to uh, you know create digital pieces of art and then sell them as NFTs has not been taken away. What has temporarily been taken away in some aspects is the royalties um, component of that, right? And that was a big promise of NFTs. And it still is a big promise of NFTs in my mind. We're just in this sort of period of, of flux where, you know, we're trying to figure out, do we need a new NFT standard where it's, you know, enforced at the contract level? Like, what is going to happen? I think for creators that are relying on royalties to survive, it's a big punch in the mouth, right? But ultimately, the ability to still create and sell online hasn't gone away. Um, so the vibe, I think, particularly in the art community has been, um, you know, the, like I said, this is this is a big punch in the mouth and we need to do everything to fight it. And I, I know I'm on board with that, um, but I do think um, unless you can enforce it at the contract level um, or enforce it in a different way other than sort of optional royalties, what we spoke about before – people are always going to do what's right for them right like you know p- as much as you you would hope as and you know i've seen people even go out and say like you need to be an artist that you want your community or you want your collectors to want to pay that royalty and i think that's great and i think that might work for people as big as people it's easily
2: to say that yeah, yeah it's yeah,
1: easy yeah. to say it's harder to it's harder to execute so you know for pfp collections like dead fellas that i mentioned before like moonbirds like bored apes etc they are trying to build global brands anyway. So if they're trying to rely on royalties to keep them afloat, I I think that was always probably going to be a losing strategy anyway. Um, But I I feel for the artists in particular in in the current climate.
2: Yeah, well, look, I think we'll leave it there. But look, it's, it's an evolving ecosystem right now and there's a few bumps that clearly need to be ironed out. So... Uh, let's just see where they go. But really interesting that open seas have flipped on that. So maybe we'll just see where that one pans out in the next week or so. Moving on, let's talk about... NFT London, which which didn't look too good, unfortunately. There was a lot of photos that were floating around social media and Twitter um, with some, you know, almost empty rooms and different events, although in saying that I saw uh, one or two um, pretty good events that looked relatively packed, so can't have been all bad. And I've got a bit of a theory on this as well, and it's the fact that things in the UK aren't great, you know, <laughs> at the moment as far as, you know, the the macro scene and finance goes in general. I've got a few really good mates that are over there at the moment. I was chatting to them on the weekend and it's a bit of doom and gloom in general over there. Mm. Uh, woe is me is the sentiment. So, you know, maybe people just didn't want to get along to something like this at the moment. Um that was my thoughts, anyway. What do What do you guys think? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I've I've only seen a handful of photos, and that that can be a little bit deceiving at times. You know, someone mm. can take a photo at the back of the room, and maybe the speaker's just finished, and you know, it's 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 hard to know, right? It's hard to judge off off essentially a headline. Um, it, it is look, I attended NFT NYC. Um, Was it the best conference I've ever attended? No, but would I go back again? Most likely. And the reason I give that sort of weird answer is it's a melting pot for the space, right? At at least in the New York event, it's been going since 2019. Uh, A lot of the who's who of the NFT space and the major projects go there. So, you know, I, I... I had a blast in terms of um, the actual events in and around NFT NYC. yeah. The yeah. conference part was probably, a, a, you know, in my opinion, too many speakers and, and not uh, enough curation in terms of, um, you know, the topics and, you know, you saw people that would get up on stage and, you know, three speakers later would be the same topic. So you had the same, you know, different speakers speaking to the same topic, you know, three sessions in a row. But, you know, I'm – Ultimately, I was there for three events in the US, you know, VCon, which is Gary V's first event um, that he ran. I thought that was the best of the th- of the three. I went to ConsenSys uh, and then I went to NFT NYC. So, you know, I- I'm not across NFT London too much other than the p- pictures you probably saw too, Trace. I believe there was a Solana, um, you know, event happening at the same time and, a- and maybe even an Ethereum ecosystem event happening at the same time too. So whether it was a calendar clash or not, I don't know either, um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm heads down with, with my own event, so not paying yeah. too much attention to what's <laughs> happening overseas at the moment. It's yeah. all about NFT Fest here in Australia. So well, you've obviously been to
3: VCon, which I'm very jealous of. I'm a yep. Gary V fanboy. So what parts of that are you bringing to NFT Fest? Like what's the lowdown with NFT Fest Australia? I'm sure that you've got a lot of conference experience now. So what do you bring into your event?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think conferences often are, you know, to me, it's sort of like it's the the content and did you get a little bit smarter and did you walk away with three to five people that you wanted to hear from and you hadn't heard from previously or that you just stumbled upon at this conference that you didn't even know existed before you went to that conference and then you either make a relationship with them or you follow them on social media and all of a sudden – You've 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 come away with some value, right? From an education standpoint, and from unearthing a few speakers and a few people that were saying interesting things. And I think VCON for me knocked it out of the park from that com- from from that side of things, along with many others. So I am, you know, other other people just think conferences should be all about the parties and the networking and just sort of meeting new people. I think that is a key component of conferences, but I also think if you're gonna to go to a conference, I'd prefer to be engaged in the content itself and learning something and stumbling upon some new speakers that are saying interesting things than just the parties alone, right? Or the networking alone. So for me, the key takeaways of any good conference are, like I said, to uh, get something out of the content, learn something new, stumble across some new speakers that you hadn't heard from before. Um, But then on top of that is to build new relationships. And I think one of the interesting things we're seeing in the NFT world is, you know, previously over the last sort of 10 to 15 years when we've seen the emergence of social media is we would meet someone in real life at, you know, your mate's barbecue or this party or that party or whatever social event it was. And you would add them on Facebook, right? We maybe don't do that as much anymore because, you know, most mostly grandparents are using Facebook these days. But, you know, it'll be, can I add you on Instagram or, you know, let's connect on LinkedIn if it's a business setting. So you're taking what was an initially an IRL connection and you're extending that digitally. What we're seeing now with NFTs, and I think this is a, a pretty cool phenomenon that's sort of happening is... You're meeting people in Discord and on Twitter that own the same NFT as you, and you're in a community, and you're sort of you're sharing these digital interactions with them, and then those projects or those NFT communities, whether they're structured or unstructured, are having social events where you're actually taking. So it's the 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 flippening of what we've seen for the last fifteen years, where you're meeting digitally first and you're extending that relationship IRL and I think it's a really really cool aspect of NFTs that not many people are talking about yet but they will be in the coming years.
2: No, it sounds like you've like you're going to bring all the best parts to you know NFT Fest Australia. So who are who are the headlines or who are you excited to be talking to or who are you really jazzed that you've got coming to the event? <laughs>
1: I mean, it it sounds you know when you when you're running the event, it's hard to sort of stay humble, isn't it? When you're trying to, uh, but but uh, look, I'm I'm biased, obviously. I've, I've co-founded this event. Um, but yeah, I mentioned Betty from Dead Fellas before. We've got Vulture coming to Melbourne from Psychedelics Anonymous. You know DCL blogger for those that know Maddie from the Meta Key. Um, You know Kevin Rose, who's the founder of Proof and Moonbirds. Kevin will be uh, doing a virtual fireside chat. So we have about. Three to four percent of our total speakers will be virtual. Like it's Thanksgiving week in in America, so they have decided to participate. But the interview will be contextual to the room, so you know you'll have someone that's interviewing them on stage in Melbourne, um, and we'll have huge big projector screens beaming those people in. Uh, it won't be live streamed, so the only way you can see that interview is to uh, is to be at NFT Fest. Um, but on top of that, you know, Jimmy.eth. So if you know uh, Avastars and, um, you know, Nate, we mentioned VFriends before, Craig, um, Nameless NFT, uh, they were actually uh, working with Gary to bring VFriends to life, um, you know, in 2021. Uh, for those that follow, you know, the AFL, we've got Cricket Australia involved. We've got. Ridley Plummer from Tennis Australia. We've got you know Australian Grand Prix. We've got uh, New Zealand rugby. Leanne Batts is flying over from New Zealand, so she's heading up their Web three strategy. Um, We have the who's who of uh, the NFT world in terms of PFP projects. Uh, We have the who's who of Australian sport. Um, We have. A lot of music NFT startups and musicians that are coming. So uh, I know you're in Perth, Trace. So there's a there's a local Web3 startup called Ocean Floor Music. Uh, They will be joining us in Melbourne. So you know it's it's a smorgasbord of all things NFTs. I still think, you know, we started this conversation around Board Apes, and Board Apes are always interesting. Um, But to the standard person, still, I think a lot of NFTs get confused with it's just a cartoon animal picture. Um, what is happening under the surface is much deeper than that. And we think that we've got a lineup that sort of rivals any Web3 NFT uh, event globally.
2: So will it be the case of a regular music festival where you come in, you've got your lineup and you have to make a decision on who's clashing and like who you're going to see and who you're not going to be able to see?
1: It definitely is. We have three rooms yep. um, and it's by design. So our first two rooms will be more on your keynote interviews panel type of sessions. Mm-hmm. Our third room, um, you know, we're working with Oshi Gallery here in Melbourne to really bring that to life where it's going to be an experience room. So there'll be 101 sessions, you know, what is an NFT, what is a PoAp, what is a smart contract? There'll be demonstrations. There'll be live music performances as well. So, um, you know, Cav Templey from Eskimo Joe. Eskimo Joe, Joe. wow. um, He's coming over. um, He's working with Ocean Floor Music. So, you know, we're really excited to have some of the artists too, right? Like we've got some amazing photography NFT um, artists, uh, you know, Giant Swan who uh, essentially uh, does art in virtual reality. So, you know, yeah. he's coming along. Um, you know, there, there's there's a really an eclectic mix of um, speakers and artists that are helping us. And on top of that, you know, we, we decided, you know, when we put this thing on that we wanted to keep a community vibe to the event. Um, you know, our previous two iterations of NFT Fest have been free events. The first one was online only with no hard costs. The second one was paid for by Blockchain Australia. Um, the third one, we are charging a ticket price. We think it's a pretty reasonable ticket price for two days, um, but we're giving 50% of that ticket price back to the speakers and artists. Yeah, that is amazing. That help us, yeah. yeah, that help us put on the event and, we, you know, I don't know whether we're the only one that's done this before, but I don't feel like I've come across it yeah, before. So, you know, we're, we're really excited to deliver something. So
2: just thinking ahead, because I'm sure this is going to be a great success, what about South by Southwest next year? That's in, in Sydney, isn't it? I can imagine there'd be some kind it of is. NFT yeah. flavour to that. Are you guys chatting with them already or...?
1: No, I'm not chatting with those guys at the moment, but uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting that it's that it's coming to Sydney.
2: Look, I think um, to round out today's chat with you, we'd love to get a market update. Like me and me and- A bit of alpha. A bit of alpha. We attempt to do a bit of a market update each month on what's going on, but obviously, you know, we're in crypto winter. That means that it's obviously NFT winter as well. It has been for some months now, but can you give us a bit of a round out? And I know that you said you've been kind of head down, bum up at the moment with getting um, NFT Fest sorted and that is, you know, it's a huge feat. And and we've just said that, you know, you need to be completely focused on what's going on in the NFT space and even a day or a few hours out, you know, you, you lose track of what's going on. But can you give us an update, a quick market update on what's going on and what you see has happened maybe in the last... Few months and where you see it, um, not that you've got a crystal ball, but where you see the market going, perhaps in the next few months as well.
1: I don't know where the market goes in the next few months because I think you know I, I'm not a macro economist, and I, I don't I don't even think macro economists know where the market's going in general. What I would say in my observations, particularly sort of you know April was sort of the last big month for the NFT market. I mean Ethereum had been. Sort of slowly going down price wise, um, you know, from sort of, I think. Maybe December or January to, to April, but there's a lot of big NFT drops that happened in April. You know, there was uh, Gary V's V Friend Series Two, mm. there was uh, Moonbirds that came, and then there was sort of the uh, the other side land by Yuga Labs, mm. where there was a big gas war, and that mm. would that almost marked the top, right, for the NFT market and crypto market. Yep. Within a week of that other side drop, we saw the Luna c- crash. We saw mm. then we saw you know Celsius Three AC, all that stuff that happened. So you know, over the last six months, it it hasn't been as uh, fun or mm, profitable no. in terms of uh, of uh, what we experienced sort of the 12 months prior. But what has held up probably a little bit stronger than, say, PFP projects in general has been the art side of things. And it's not every art project, but, you know, things like Chromie Squiggles, things like Fidenzas and Ringers by Dimitri Cherniak. Um, you know, I think uh, there are... There are a couple of ways that you can think about NFTs, and you know you can think about them from the PFP perspective, like the Dead Fellas and Bored Apes and things like that that we've spoke about um, today. But also, there are the generative art collections. There are other collectibles like music NFTs. I think music NFTs are still very, very new. Um, I think they will definitely have their day quite soon. Um, you've obviously got sports collectibles as well. But I really think what you need to do is to think about why you're buying first and foremost. And I know this sort of sounds a little bit cliche, but ultimately if you're buying for the price to go up and that's fine, you know, we all experiment with that and we all want that to happen. Um, Understand what you're buying and what your exit point would be as well. Um, But I also think that the utility that was so hot, you know, anytime... Anytime a project mentioned utility or future utility or roadmap, you know, on the speculation side of things in 2021 and and up until, let's say, April 2022, um, you know, the price sometimes would really shoot up on future value, you know, expected future value. And that got overcooked a little bit. So I think projects as a whole now, PFP projects, are struggling. Uh, some of them are holding up pretty decently, but some of them have dropped significantly in the last six months because the market has cooled and that's why I think we're seeing the emergence of art again and because art promises nothing else than art. Now, can an artist actually surprise and delight collectors and say, hey, we're going to airdrop drop you this, or we're going to air drop you that. Um, absolutely, but ultimately, there's less pressure, there's less external dependencies on a piece of NFT art than there is even if you're holding a bored ape, right? You know, because bored apes and PFPs, you know, dead fellas, moonbirds, etc., they are playing in the attention economy, right? And if people forget about them, uh, you're probably going to correlate with a drop in floor price. Whereas, you know, art is just art, and I do think that you know, longer term, um, you know, having less external dependencies is a good thing. Like I know a few pieces that I hold, um, I don't even worry about checking the floor. I just know that it's a long term hold. Whereas some of my PFP projects, I'm probably a little bit more active in in sort of monitoring where there are.
2: So can I ask you a question then when it comes to those, the art and the PFP and where things are at right now, if we are going to be in this bear market, which we are now for another six to 12 months, and then NFTs are maybe just pushed to the side a little bit and people there's a lot of people out there who kind of forget about crypto and NFTs for a while. And when this next bull market does happen and we've got a whole new wave of retail that come into say, the crypto market with fresh eyes or who are introduced to NFTs for the first time through this bull market and maybe Instagram or whatever, and they've never heard of PFPs and when they first look at NFTs... Will they want fresh new NFTs or will they look back at these older collectibles or will there be something new and exciting? Like, I don't. You know, will they go to these OGs, or will they be on this fresh new thing? Like, I, I, you know, where will be the balance?
1: It's a really good question, and a question I think about a lot. Um, you know, I think the answer is both. You know, not to sit on the fence, but ultimately there will be new collections. There'll be new attention that is driven to certain collections. New utilities, um, yeah, yeah. But I, I do think that. You know even if you think about physical collectibles whether they're comics or you know sporting cards or pokemon cards or whatever it is like historical collections in a physical OGs, world and historical yeah. paintings um it does come down to narrative too right mm-hmm. like what is the the narrative on you know why are chromie squiggles so expensive i mean the narrative is it's it was the first collection that kicked off art blocks and you know it was one of the very first generative art projects on Ethereum. And it doesn't really need to do anything more than that. It just yeah. sits there, right? So. And you know, will people want to own a piece of history that they can display? And, and I think one of the things we haven't spoke about today too, is we often get in this weird scenario where we go, you know it has to be digital only right it can be digital and physical right behind me in the next room i have two of my nfts that are printed on a canvas yeah, me right too. so mm. i yeah i bought them as nfts and i and i downloaded a high res version and i blew them up and you know it it holds special to me that i can have that in my house but i can also display it on my digital profiles as well you know mm. back to our instagram stuff before so you know i think that um I think the answer will be both. I think there'll be new stuff that we didn't even expect, but I'm I'm reasonably confident that many of the early art projects and pr- probably you know collections like CryptoPunks that really you know it's an easy one to say, but I think CryptoPunks are going to be um, you know very very sought after in the in the the coming years and decades ahead. When you think about, they kicked off the whole PFP craze, um, you know as the first sort of true 10k. Uh, digital collectibles collection, PFP collection, and I, I just don't see them going away anytime soon. Will the price fluctuate? Absolutely. But, you know, it would be nice to it would be, be nice to have a CryptoPunk in the bag, I would say. I feel like, Trace, you
3: almost have to treat it as the 2017 ICO boom and washout. Like, yes, we had new things that came, but if you slept on the OGs, you would have missed – synthetics you would have missed Binance. you would have missed all of the the maybe the five percent of tokens that did really well i think that's the same as what we're seeing in nfts Mm.
1: yeah i think it's a good way to put it craig and i I think the other fascinating part of it and there's no doubt that you know nfts are being hit in this this bear market but i actually think they are holding up better than probably most people expected and maybe i'll eat my words if we do this again in another week because we're, we're experiencing some some pretty shaky and you know uh, interesting territory at the moment yeah. with the whole whole ftx debacle but um but ultimately you know flaws and and you know nft communities have held up pretty well and i think it's because there's just a different dynamic to nfts than there is from fungible tokens in in my opinion
2: And with that, I wanted to round out today's podcast and ask you your favourite NFT. So one that you've got that you wouldn't get rid of, that you would that you kind of it's a long term hold. So maybe for you that is a piece of art, Greg. Is there one that or perhaps you sold it and you want to get it back? Obviously we found that out today. You plan on getting yours back. So what's your what's your favorite NFT? Doesn't even have to be obviously, you know, a super rare one, but have you got a fave or two?
1: Yeah. So I think um one would be uh it's an artist called heart you um uh my uh it's called an emote there's a, around about 1100 of them i minted it in uh january for 0.05 eth i got it actually as part of being the proof a proof collective member which is a thousand membership cards essentially to you know hardcore nft collectors it's founded by kevin rose but they did a collaboration with heart. You, um, you know, it's one of my printed ones here in the, in the back. Uh, I just love it. Like it, it, um, it didn't cost me a lot of money, a couple hundred bucks. Um, I could have sold it for, you know, maybe $10,000 back in January when, when people wanted, wanted this thing and it's still sitting at a reasonable price, nothing like 10,000, but, uh, I don't see myself selling that. You I think get it would need to be a, yeah. yeah, I do get attached. attached so that yeah. that that particular one, it just speaks to me. It was at a time and a period in my life when I minted it that just it just resonated with me. And I, I know that there are certain NFTs in my collection that will be very hard to sell. But I'd also say, you know, probably the first ever V Friends token that I bought, you know, the accountable ant eater, like that kicked off this incredible wave like that was my first nft on ethereum and that kicked off this incredible journey right so and- it's
2: about memories isn't it memories and emotions when you first bought them and you know they
1: mean something yeah it is and it, and and it's pretty hard like back to our sort of difference between fungible and non-fungible tokens right There are, you know, someone will counter this and say, oh, well, you can, you know, divide an NFT up and you can sort of um, split it up and sell 100 bits of it or 10,000 bits of it or whatever. But ultimately, most of the time you are selling an NFT or you're keeping it. Like if you hold Ethereum and you hold 10 grand of Ethereum and you go, I want to sell down half, you can sell down half. You can't sell down half of your NFT. And that's why I think there's a... Different emotional attachment to many of these NFTs as well. It's yours. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: yeah. What
3: about you, Craig? There's something about you have you have to put it on the floor. You have to like put it up for bid and then one person has to buy it. You know, there's something about like it's so illiquid and like it's so personal. Like you're like, this is is my degenerate ape with a twinkie in its mouth. You know, this is my pudgy penguin with a skivvy. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like I've been telling my dad about crypto for years. And then I told him that you could buy your own unique NFT and it has, you know, your own unique characteristics. And he was like, I'm in. <laughs> I was like, man, I've been telling you about Ethereum since it was a hundred dollars and now you're in, you know, with these NFTs. But Tracy, for me, my favorite, um, probably Celtics jersey. I've sold on so one actually I've sold on one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Celtics Jersey was my greatest regret, Greg, a bit like yourself, I was literally showing my dad how to sell and it turned out to be like a top 50 rare DGN ape on Solana and it was probably my greatest regret in life, but
1: it is what it is. <laughs> we all have them. We definitely all have them. Yes, that's for sure.
3: There you go.
2: So we need to say thank you so much for coming on here and clearing up a bunch of things for us. You're definitely very, very knowledgeable on the NFT space and I think a lot of users would have Really appreciated you coming on here. And if people do want to hear more more regularly about NFTs, then Greg has the Ape and Bird YouTube channel. You can find him and listen every week and go into the weeds with him um, for NFT stuff. But also, please check out NFT Fest. We will put a link in the show notes below so you can find out a lot more about how you can get involved in that in Melbourne
1: um, in a couple of weeks time. The dates are 23rd and 24th of November, but we have a couple of events around the 22nd and 25th too. But yeah, 23, 24, or nftfest.com.au's got all the details and tickets.
2: There you go. Check it out. So thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure and hopefully we'll, we'll get you back to talk all things NFT again.
1: Thank you, Trace. Thanks, Craig. It's been a blast. Cheers.
2: And that's it for this week's episode. Uh, again, if you want some more details or if you want to uh, ask some more questions about NFTs, please hit us up on podcast at getbamboo.io or hit us up in any of the social media channels once again please rate and review us wherever you're listening to your podcast and we'll see you
0: next week
3: bye for now see you guys
0: crypto curious is a product of equity mates media all information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only equity mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals it is not intended as a substitute for professional finance legal or tax advice The hosts of Cryptocurious are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equitymates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act of 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Mates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Mates Media and the hosts of Curious acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.